We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You might wonder why we're in chapter 9 because we left off at the end of chapter 10. So how are we at chapter 9? But what you'll remember is, is that when we got to chapter 7 is when the book shifted and Paul stopped just addressing the concerns that he had and he started asking, answering questions that they had asked him, that the, the Corinthians had asked him. And once he gets to that part of the book, it really kind of weaves all over the place, and he kind of repeats himself some, and uh, it's, it's more of a weaving pattern of his answering. It's a little bit cyclical. So what we decided to do was to take out the, the, the main topics that he's dealing with and deal with them one at a time for our purposes on Sunday morning. So the, the, the train of his logic in the, in the book will, will be faithful to that. But uh, we, we might have to jump back and forth a little bit as far as what number uh, chapter we're in. So that's why we, last time we did 8 and 10, and now 9 is in the middle of it, and uh, we're going to be grabbing a hold of 9. Now, the reason that 9 is right in the middle of 8 and 10 is because it comes after 8 and before 10. But the other reason that, uh, that Paul put the content of chapter 9 where he did was because this is a big illustration about the whole topic he was dealing with in 8 and 10. Anybody remember where we were at in 8 and 10, what the big topic was? Anybody remember? Oh, somebody said it, I think. The pagan worship, the meat sacrificed to idols and everything. Remember? that how It was like they'd go to these pagan temples that were also kind of like restaurants. It was kind of like the same thing for them. And this is church in the real world is the name of this series. And they're like... Paul, this is the real world, you know, this is where you go to eat, and yeah, it's a pagan temple, but we all know there aren't any other gods but Jesus, so like, let's not get hung up on the fact that there is idol worship there, because there's no real gods behind it anyway, and uh, we have freedom now, we're under the grace of God, and all of that, and so uh, there was that issue, and there was also the meat that was offered at these places to the idols, then was sold in the market, and uh, they were trying to, Paul was trying to address with them whether it was appropriate to eat that meat or not. And, you know, they're living in freedom at this point. And Paul's basic address to them around these topics were this. Look, you are so free. You are completely and totally free. You are not bound by the law anymore. There is nothing holding you back. You can do whatever you want, but you're free from two things. First of all, you're free from the law that restricted you. But you're also free from the selfishness, which was the whole reason the law was put in place. You know, we're self-consumed. Oh, there's the cricket. Ah, oh, my nemesis. You're back. I missed you, cricket. Um, when it gets really quiet in here, the cricket starts to go. Then we know. Jim's got, Jim's got a book in his hand, and he's getting up close to where the cricket is. Jim's one of our trustees. We may see Jim sacrifice something at church today. You herded two out and one came in? Oh, Greg did. Yeah. It's like herding crickets. Yeah. Okay, we're moving on. So uh, the way that he told them to deal with their freedom is he said, look, you have all the freedom in the world, but your freedom is not just from the law. Your freedom is also from your selfishness. And the whole reason the law was in place is because we were bound to our selfishness, so we needed the law to restrict that. But now it's all gone. 
We're not, we're not only not bound to the law, we're not bound to our selfishness, which is why the law's gone. And so, in other words, you can engage in whatever you want, but the whole point is you're free to not engage just for your own self-indulgence. Now you're able to engage for the glory of God and the betterment of the people around you. So why would you go and do all sorts of dumb stuff with your freedom that's just selfishness and self-indulgence? Use your freedom for the betterment of the kingdom of God. That's the whole point. And so let go of your freedom to be a slave to Christ because that's what you wanted to be all along. That's what we needed to be all along was to be his servant, to be his follower. And before we couldn't do it because we were chained to ourselves, but now we're free from ourselves. He's taking care of us. We don't have to worry about us anymore. You know. And so that was the whole point of 8 and 10. He illustrates that by chapter 9. There's this gigantic illustration. And the illustration of chapter 9 is his own life. See, Paul says, look at my life. Look at this. He's like, I have all sorts of rights. As an apostle, I have the right to, have a, have, to get paid. I have the right to have a family. I have a right to do all sorts of things. And he's like, but I set aside those rights intentionally because I think it will be more effective for building the kingdom of God. And so even though I have freedom and rights, I'm choosing to set those things aside because I want to I love God in this way and serve God in this way. So I have all the right to do all this stuff that I want to do and that other apostles do, but I'm choosing not to because I think it will be more effective for God for me to do this. And that's how he's telling them to deal with their situation around the meat sacrifice idols. Yeah, sure, you can engage in that, but if it's not helpful, don't do it. And if it is helpful, do it. Don't get hung up on the law. Don't get hung up on what your belly wants. Like, go after what God wants and be all about that. That's the big illustration in chapter 9 is he's using his own life. It also serves to do a second thing. And uh, we'll read it in just a second, but I want to tell you this other thing because as we read through the chapter, again, you know, I don't want you to be lost as we read through the chapter. So the the second thing that it does as he's illustrating this point is it reestablishes his his authority with the community again. You remember early on in 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 the book, in the letter, this was a big deal, is that they were asking all these questions, but they weren't respecting his authority. So he had to take them to task, you know, and show them that he still was apostolic authority in their life, and he had to reveal that to them, not because Paul was, his pride was hurt or something like that, but because they needed to be willing to listen to him if they were going to go the direction that they needed to go. And so he had to reassert his authority. And he kinda, it kind of dips back into that in this passage. And basically what he's saying is, you've seen me, see, for them, let, let me illustrate it this way. You know, in the corporate world, um, there's, there's this sense sometimes of like, well, who's like really successful? You know, if you have like Forbes, most successful people, you're trying to figure out who's most successful. There's ways, different ways to measure that around who's most successful and what they do. But for some people, the way they want to measure their own success is by how big the dollar signs are and, you know, what kind of car they drive and what kind of clothes they wear. And if I've made it to this level, that proves that I've really achieved something and I must be a really good businessman. But Paul is, in essence, saying, okay, these other apostles have all these rights, and you're saying I don't look like them. But what I'm trying to tell you is I'm more like the boss who decided to forego the bonus check and forego the car and forego all of that stuff so that I could help my employees out. And you're saying, because of that, I don't look like an apostle to you. And he's like, what I'm trying to tell you is that's the very proof of my genuine care for you. 
you know, is that I'm willing to sacrifice that stuff in order for you to do better. And you're using that as ammo against me to say that I don't, you don't look much like an apostle. You don't walk around with your big robes and, you know, that's not your job. You're still making tents over here, Paul. And he's like, oh, I could get paid. Believe me, I could get paid, but I'm not getting paid because I think it'll help you guys because you guys are upset over the fact that I'm not getting paid. Imagine how upset you'd be if I did get paid, you know? And so, like, that's kind of where Paul's coming from in his perspective in this whole thing. That's what the chapter's about, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to read it together, and we're going to stand to honor God's word as we read it. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, that's Peter. Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. Now, I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and in so and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I have become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. 
Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it a slave so that, I can, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And we pray that God will add rich blessing to the reading of his word. You can have a seat and join me in prayer, please. God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for what's going on in this letter in Corinth between Paul and Corinth. We thank you that uh, Paul had such concern for them and that you moved in him through your spirit in such a way that, uh, that he was able to communicate in such detail to them about the inner workings of their own spirits and around their own motivations. We thank you that, that uh, frankly, Paul, in all of his hardship and even in prison, was able to write so many letters and give us this text, these texts that we have in front of us that we now uh, glean from God. And we thank you for his life and his ministry. We also thank you, God, mostly for your sacrifice and what you've done for us. And now we ask that this word would be alive and active for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. At the end of your life, when you come to the end of your days, you know, as those days come to the end, we never know exactly when they're going to be. But as you get to the end of your days, if you could look back over the course of your life and watch the storyline of your life, what would you want it to read? What would you want your story to say? What would you want it to mean? If someone re reads the story of your life and at the end someone asks, hey, what was that book about? You know, as they read the story of your life, what would you want them to clearly say, oh, their, their life was about this. This is what it was all about. It was obvious. This is what their life was about. What do you want that to be for you? Regardless of what that thing is, whatever it is that you want to be said about your life, it takes sacrifice in order to attain that in our lives, doesn't it? In order to achieve any ends, we have to sacrifice. It reminds me of this commercial that I haven't been able to get out of my mind since the, since the Olympics. For some reason, it must have been a good commercial. It just stuck with me. It was, uh, it was a commercial by City. And it was about the sacrifice that it takes for the Olympic athletes to do what they do. And as I was thinking through this message, it reminded me of it. So I, I Googled it and found it on YouTube and asked Matt to show it to us. So it's going to be on the screen. Take a day off? I don't even take a morning off. I haven't ordered dessert in two years. You know that best-selling book everyone loves? I haven't read it. I haven't watched TV since last summer. Hey, I've been busy. City is proud to sponsor our dedicated U.S. athletes every step of the way. Kind of a cool commercial, isn't it? It gives you perspective on what it takes to be an Olympic athlete. And Paul ends this text saying, run so as to win the race. And you know, it made me think instantly of this commercial and what it takes for these athletes. I mean, honestly, most of them, complete amateurs, not getting paid, not a whole lot in it. I mean, hopefully a medal is in it at some point for them, you know. Um, but for most of them, they got to radically and drastically change their lives in order to, to get ready for this. I mean, 
not eating dessert for two years. Man, it's tough, you know? Taking a day off, I haven't even taken a morning off, you know? And so, like, we're doing three a days here, man. I wish I could take one, like, morning off. I wish I could sleep in one morning, but I can't. I haven't read the book. I haven't watched TV in a year, whatever it is. You know, they probably, many of them get jobs that, that can, that can fit around their schedule or they try to raise support or do whatever they can so they can do everything they can to compete in this game. All for what? For what? To try to win, right? To do everything they can to win. And there's one thing they want to be able to say at the end, that they left it all on the field, you know? left it all in the pool, left it all in the gym, whatever, that it's like they gave absolutely everything they had to do the best they could to compete to win this. And that's what Paul is calling the church of Corinth to do with their lives in pursuit of Christ. All out. Pull out all the stops, sacrifice whatever's necessary in order to do it. And Paul is allowed to say that. You know why he's allowed to say that? Because when you look at the life of Paul, it's one of the most profound examples of a person who fully gave their life to see the kingdom of God move forward. What's amazing about the life of Paul is that in the second letter to Corinth, he's still dealing with this issue of them disrespecting him. He's still dealing with it. And he's still having to establish his authority. So in chapter 11 of the second book of Corinthians, he starts to tell them. Finally, he's like, all right, I'm just going to tell you guys, compared to everyone else, what I've actually had to suffer for the sake of the gospel and what I've gladly suffered. And he says, like he counts it joy, but he's like, this is what I've had to suffer. And he goes on this staggering list of what it is that he's endured for the sake of the kingdom of God. And i got to read it for you. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, okay? <clears throat> Don't just let these words, like, flow past you. Grab a hold of them and think about which, what each of these things were like for Paul to endure. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times... I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. You you know what those lashes are about, right? You remember that Christ being lashed 40 times before going to the cross and how horrific the flogging is. And he says five times he got 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. You remember that when they stoned him and they thought he was dead? They threw him outside the city, thought he was dead. Turns out he wasn't dead yet. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So scary. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches." Like a mother hovering over her kids, Paul with deep stress over what's going on in these churches. And you can, like the guy had to have like chromes or colitis or whatever's going on inside in a stomach full of turmoil, you know. And adding that on top of everything else that he's endured. This is a man who sacrificed his life and gave up everything in order to see the gospel move forward. He has the right to tell us, you know, run the race hard. 
Run it hard so as to win. You know, go after the win. And any of us, when we look back at our lives and if we want to see that we have given our lives to Christ, we have to recognize that it's going to come at a cost because we cannot go after something without it costing us something. Now, there are times when, uh, you know, people try to prove that they're committed to something or love something by putting on a front of, like, you know, working hard to say, like, I'm working hard. It's kind of, have you ever seen a kid, this is like, I love this moment with kids, when they want you to think they're working really hard. So they're like huff and puff and grunt. But it's not even that hard. You're just like, ah, you know, and they come up and they're like breathing and waiting for you to see them like breathing hard and huffing and puffing. And you're like, wow, you must have been working hard. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. And, um, you know, this is oftentimes we do that in our relationships with each other, our relationships with Christ. And we kind of play in a much more, you know, we're better actors than the, than the kids are. But to God, we're not any better actors. You know, sometimes it's that it, it can be in a relationship where instead of actually investing the way I need to, that I throw money at a relationship in order to appease it, to kind of buy it off, you know, um, and, and spend, I'll spend over here. Not that we can't love through money. We really can. You know, that's a, a, a big way that we actually can love another person. But sometimes we can just throw money at something in order to, to kind of uh, make it look like we're sacrificing. Other times it, it can be actually going the opposite way, being the victim in a relationship, making, oh, so tough, man, that, yeah, they treated me this way and this, and kind of being a victim and dramatizing things and, and making it look so horrific because then I feel like I'm the one who's sacrificing for the relationship and I'm putting a lot in, but the other person isn't, when, as a matter of fact, the other person's probably suffering every bit as much and now more because you're adding this drama to the mix, you know? Um, and that, like, those are all different ways that we do that. Sometimes people get involved in things doing you know, token efforts at social concerns in order to feel like, you know, they're a real community player and, and, and being involved. And so there's all sorts of ways that we can kind of check the box and say we're sacrificing in order to make it feel like we're doing something, you know, to kind of put on the show of being loving and committed to something. But that's different than real sacrifice, isn't it? That's different than real love. True dedication you know, it's not going to help the Olympic athlete to like, you know, sign into the pool and say, I'm going swimming and then go and swim a lap and kind of like hang out over here and come back an hour later and be like, that was tough, you know. Well, how's that going to work out for you when you show up at the Olympics, you know? It's not going to work out, you know. And that's not true dedication. It doesn't reveal a heart that's dedicated to the cause. It reveals someone wanting to look like they're dedicated to the cause. And there's a major difference. I mean, the the perfect example of someone who's really dedicated to something is someone who's completely and totally in love who will do absolutely anything, right, for the person. You know, there's pictures of this in Scripture. You know, can you think of people in Scripture who were in love and had to do crazy things for the one they loved? Can you think of any, any, anybody, anyone? Anybody think of one? No? All right. Okay, Samson's is, Samson's is a little tricky. I was looking at the Samson one. That one's a little bit tricky because it's kind of there. It's kind of there, but then you realize like his is like, he's a little bit of a freak and he just like to hurt people too. He's kind of sadistic. What, what's the, what's the other one? Somebody. Oh, Ruth and Naomi, great example. Ruth and Naomi, remember, Ruth completely gives up her life and loses her entire identity to go follow her 
I don't even know what you call her. It's her, it's her mother-in-law, but her, her, when her husband's gone, and she's still completely sacrificing for her mother-in-law. How about Jacob when he wants Rachel? So he works for seven years for Rachel, ends up with Leah, oops, and then he has to work another seven years for Rachel, works 14 years to get his wife, you know? One of the craziest ones is David. Remember David? He wanted to marry Michael, right? And he wanted to marry her, and she's the princess. She's Saul's daughter, and he wants to marry her. And do you remember what Saul required of him? Anybody know? Yeah, he had to go and kill a whole slew of Philistines, and he had to bring back proof through circumcision. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what people will do when they're in love, you know? And he does it. And he goes and, and he kills all these guys and he brings back the proof. And, you know, so, and then eventually his wife gets sent to someone else. Saul gives his wife to someone else, you know. It's, it's wild how the whole thing works. But love allows us to make amazing sacrifices, enormous sacrifices. Of course, there's no greater example in scriptures than what Jesus does for his girl. You know. It's amazing what he does for his girl. He gave up his life, she poured out all his blood on a cross so that he could present her holy and blameless to himself. Incredible sacrifice. Phenomenal sacrifice. It's the heart of love. It reveals what love's all about. And this, for Jesus, of course, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. For him, this wasn't, this wasn't about like, there was a joy in the sacrifice it's not like Jesus wanted to do it. He, as a matter of fact, he said to his dad, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm committed to your way. And for the sake of my bride, I will do this. It's not like he wanted to do it, but he would do whatever was necessary and he would do it with joy because he knew at the end what it would accomplish. You know, that's a picture of sacrifice. Uh, a, a more uh, kind of basic selfish, comical examples. You know, you know, one of my past, uh, my favorite pastimes is to go surfing. And every now and then I'll have someone who wants to go surfing with me. And, and around here in the East Coast, you need a big storm in order to get the waves big enough, you know, but then that means that the current is going all over the place and you have the, the it's a tumultuous ocean and trying to paddle out is usually just an absolute mess, you know, and so I'll take some guy who, who's, you know, athletic or whatever and wants to get out there, and, all right, let's go, but I'm like, if you want to go, you know, this is going to be hard work, you know, because you've got to get out there and you're, you're going to feel like you're going to drown, you know, and you might. You know, but don't worry about that. You know, let's just paddle out. And so start paddling out and getting worked by these waves, you know, getting pummeled. As a matter of fact, a couple of times, John, you were out there with me in your kayak getting worked. I remember that. And, uh, you, there, you know, and we're paddling out. And as, as you start getting hammered, all of a sudden, something goes off in the guy's head that says, I don't think this is really worth it. You know, like this isn't fun. Like I thought surfing was fun, you know, and it's, but if you know what it feels like and you're really into it, it's like, that's part of the whole thing, you know, and I love it. Bring it on. Let's go. You know, and I want to get out past the breakers and I want to get a good ride, you know, in, in uh, maybe a more spiritual sense. Uh, another example is, is, you know, my brother, he spent a whole bunch of time overseas in mission stuff. 
And uh, I went to visit him in the different places he was in, in South Asia and in Africa and those places. And when I would go to visit him, it was cool to see, you know, these other places. But then when I think about what it's like to live in these places, it was hard enough to travel. But when I think it would be like to live in some of the places where he was at, I'm like, this would be tough. This is not easy to live here. But for him, it was always a big adventure and joy and he loved it. But for me, I was like, this is really tough. And as a matter of fact, uh, that's kind of a, a, that can be part of a discernment for us around what God's calling is on our lives sometimes. God doesn't always call us to things that are easy, but usually he gives us the grace to handle the, the, the sacrifices that are in front of us for the calling that he gives us. And I remember my brother actually saying to me once, because I had talked about going overseas and had thought about going overseas, and I remember him saying to me, he's like, dude, I'm not trying to call you out or anything, but I'm just saying that if you go overseas, you're missing your calling. You're not wired for this stuff. You're wired to put up with a whole bunch of junk that I don't want to put up with in the States, okay? And he's like, if you go to a church in the States, there's all sorts of junk that I can't put up with that you're called to put up with. And he's like, and you can't put up with this craziness that I'm putting up with. And he's like, you know, maybe that's, we understand God's calling that way because we see what our hearts are truly drawn to. And when our hearts are committed and dedicated to something, we're actually willing to embrace the sacrifice that it takes to go after that thing. Like a mother who desperately wants her children to thrive and is willing to let go of her own dignity, her own pride and whatever to see her children thrive. That's different than a mother who just wants to be like the perfect mother on the outside, you know, but the mother who like will give herself for the betterment of her children, you know, that's true of dads too, you know, Um, but that's, you can feel that dedication underneath of it. And and a, a big part of realizing where love is and where commitment is has to do with watching what someone's willing to sacrifice. A quick timeout in the middle of that. If as I'm teaching this and thinking about it, you're sitting there thinking, I'm in a relationship with someone right now who isn't revealing that they love me that way and they're not sacrificing for me, it's time to dismiss that thought. I realize throughout this it might lead us to actually get critical of other people in that and because of our own desire for love. This isn't about anyone else other than us. Paul's not urging us to find ways to get people to love us better. Um, he's actually saying, how do we release our own selves in order to love Christ more? But this idea of sacrificing for the sake of whatever it is that we love and are dedicated to is something that Paul is overqualified to talk about in many ways. And what he says in particular, how he does this in his own life, in his own life, is he says that I have become all things to all people so that by any possible means I might save some. See, Paul understood this. He understood that when he looks back across the timeline of his life, he wants to be able to say, he wants that when people read about his life, and literally we read about Paul's life in the book of Acts, and he wants that as we read about his life, that we will say he wanted one thing. He wanted to know and serve Christ. That's it. And he says it in Philippians. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection. You know, he said he counted it, he counts everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And that's the way he lived his life. He didn't just say that. He didn't just recite that. 
He actually made choices in his life that revealed that what he wanted his life to be about was about knowing and following Christ. And he would give up whatever he needed to in order to know and walk with Christ. And he understood that he had a unique identity in the kingdom of God. And God had a design for his life. He was an evangelist. He was an apostle. He wanted to share the gospel with as many people groups as he could reach before he died. And that was the way God had called him to work in his life. And so the way he went after that was he would say, well, I can't be as effective at that if I'm married. So he chose to not get married because he thought he would be able to travel more effectively as a single person. That's a huge sacrifice. It's a gigantic sacrifice to just say, I'm not going to engage in a relationship like that. He said, some people aren't going to receive me if I'm asking for financial help in this process. So I'm going to work for my own living while I'm doing this. So he continued to work, make intense on one hand, while he's sitting selling the rest of his free time in order to invest the gospel into people. Massive sacrifice. And you look at all that list of stuff that he talked about, of things that he endured. Why? Because of this. Because Paul actually wanted to know Christ And he believed that if he walked in the calling that God had on his life, if he walked the trail that God had laid out for him, that he would know Christ along that trail. He'd be walking with Christ. He also believed that in this world, the only true hope for our society was found in Christ. He also believed that for all of the pain and turmoil that people face, the only medicine that could really cure it was Christ. He also believed that for those who didn't know Christ now, wouldn't know him for the rest of eternity. And that he was uniquely gifted to help share that with them. And so he took that call very seriously. And he maximized his life to help share the gospel with other people. It's an impressive thing to look at, and it's all by the grace of God. It's not like Paul's some superhero. Paul was a Christian killer, is what he was before God got a hold of his life. It was 100% the grace of God. And one who had been redeemed by the grace of God knew that this man who he had persecuted, remember what Jesus said on the roads of Damascus to Paul? Paul, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who is this? He says, this is Christ whom you're persecuting. And that's his first encounter with Jesus. And he says, if this man who I'm persecuting will die on a cross for me and will give me the gifts to share it with someone else, why am I going to waste my life using it for self-indulgence, using it so that I can just have a nice, fun, happy life, settle down and do this and that? He's like, I have the ability now to love him and to be a part of his work and a part of his kingdom to do something that lasts for all of eternity. I'm going to sell out for him. And he did. And it was incredible as we read the story of what God did through the person of Paul. Sometimes I have to stop and just ask myself, how important is the kingdom of God to me? Honestly, how important is it to me? And how do I answer that question? I mean, I can answer it theologically or I can just answer it like on paper. But I have to look at my life and say, what have I sacrificed for the spread of the gospel? Maybe I'm not an evangelist. Maybe I'm not an apostle. Maybe I'm not what Paul is. But what have I been able to give up financially so I could support that missionary? You know? What have I been willing to give up in my free time to serve the church, to enable the the work of the church to move forward? 
What of my dignity have I been willing to give up at my workplace or in my neighborhood or with my friends in order to reveal the glory of God and show the truth? What have I been willing to give up? And when I ask that question, I don't ask it because I want to check the box off because God will be impressed with my sacrifices. When you look at the cross, you ask yourself, really, he's going to be impressed with me? You know, he's not going to be impressed. He's never going to be impressed. I don't ask myself about whether I've been, whether I've sacrificed these things in order to see whether I'm impressive to God. I ask myself because I want to know my own heart because the Bible tells us that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. It tells me that it cares, but I have to look at my life and I have to add up the numbers of my hours and of my checkbook and of all those things and start to look at it and say, where my treasure is, there my heart is also. And I have to look hard if I want to be honest with myself about what I really care about. Self-assessment and self-honesty in the kingdom of God is what Paul is calling the church of Corinth to in this moment. And he's saying, you're free. You can do whatever you want. The real question is, what do you want? You say you want the kingdom of God. Put your money where your mouth is. Put your time where your mouth is. Put your free time and put your family where your mouth is. Put your life choices where your mouth is. And he's not saying that because he's telling them to man up. He's saying it because he wants it to be a reality check. He wants them to see, am I, I say this, but am I deceived right now? Am I deceived? Because the master of deception wants to sideline me constantly. And Paul's trying to give a reality check. That's what he's trying to do. You know what's funny is I can't actually change my heart at the deepest part. I can't make my heart different. And Jesus talks about the parable of the sower when the seed is sown and some falls on hard ground, some falls on, on shallow soil where the seed gets planted but the roots can't get deep and it, gets, you know, it, it withers and dies. Others are planted among thorns and the thorns choke it out. Others, the birds come and get it. You know, all of the, and all of those soils are human hearts the soil of human hearts. And the seed is the gospel being planted, his truth being planted. And what happens is determined by our hearts. And in my own merit, I cannot change my heart. That's the whole problem. That's why we need the cross. Because I can't change myself on the core, at the core. For some people, we think that that means, well, if I can't change my heart, then, then I, you know, it's inauthentic for me to try to do the things that, are, that we're called to in the kingdom of God if I'm not really feeling it right now. Then it's me just trying to check the box and prove myself to Christ. I believe in something much different than that. I believe that love is a choice. And that there are times when those Olympic athletes get up in the morning and they do not feel like going swimming. You know? I, don't, I feel like sleeping in. I got the flu this morning. I don't feel like exercising, you know? I just really, really, really want some ice cream right now, you know? Whatever it is, you know? And they have those moments. But just because their heart's not in it in the moment doesn't mean that they're not going to make the right choice because they're dedicated to what it is that they're going after. And this is what Paul's saying. If we trust Christ, if we love Christ, then in the moments when everything inside of me is still screaming that I need this trinket instead of giving to this missionary, you know? When I, when I really need this time to just relax instead of going and serving at that shelter, 
When I really just need people at work to respect me instead of stepping up and speaking the truth about what I think in this situation or how to represent Christ in this situation. Love in that moment is not just a feeling that we're reacting to and responding to. Love in that moment is a choice. It says, God might not be impressed by my sacrifice, but I trust him enough that if I step in the way he wants me to step in right now, that I will know him in this process and he will build his kingdom and I want that more than I want anything else. And I don't know about you guys, but for me in my life, whenever I've been in that moment of turmoil, when it's like I struggle and I can feel the temptation, whether it's materialism gnawing at me and consumerism gnawing at me or it's my pride gnawing at me or it's my fear gnawing at me or it's some sort of lust or whatever that's gnawing at me, whatever those things are, And I have to choose to step in and say, no, by the grace of God, I step in and I'm going to do what he wants me to do in this moment. It doesn't take long for my heart to follow. You know, it's a real tumultuous moment in the the decision. But after the decision's made, it's sweet release. And pretty soon I'm like, oh man, I'm back in the arms of Father God, man. I am in the mission. I am on point. My life is worthwhile right now. This was a good decision. And instantly the joy of the Lord starts to fill my soul. As opposed to if you go and I went and bought the thing or I went and did the thing or I didn't do the thing because I was afraid or whatever. And then the long shame and regret and the attack of the enemy picking me apart. Because not only does he keep me from doing what he wants me to do, then he beats me up for it afterwards and sidelines me again. Whereas the Lord is calling me out and saying, I got you, I got a wonderful plan and it's going to take sacrifice. But I guarantee you, if you step into it, you're going to love your life. And Paul, with all that sacrifice, loved life. Loved his life absolutely lived it to the fullest. So I got to ask myself at some point, I just got to stop and ask myself, am I in this thing as far as it benefits me or am I actually in this for the Lord? Am I dedicated to the Lord and his cause? Do I love him? Am I about him? Or is this really still about me? And to the extent that church satisfies my need or to the extent that I feel like I need something, I go after God. But as soon as I'm done with that, well, I don't really need to read the word or pray anymore or I don't need to to give to God anymore this way or I don't need to invest into the community and the church anymore because this is about me. Or is this really, this is about the kingdom of God and I am going to give till I drop. I am going to go hard after his kingdom till there's nothing left. Man, I am going to beat my body into submission and maximize my budget and maximize my time and do everything I can to invest into the only thing that matters. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things are added at that point. You know, and I have to ask myself that question. And I have to take some serious self-assessment. At the end, we will stand someday before the judge. And when we stand before the judge, it's interesting. I, you know, many times when I think about the judge, I think about him in the robes, you know? Like, 
the judicial robes and sitting on that high stand up there in the courtroom and all the angels standing around and, and there's the, there's the accuser who's standing there and there's the angels and there's the, you know, all the, the, what does it say? We're surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. So all the witnesses are around watching and here's God on his throne and he's about to make the big judgment about whether or not I looked Christian enough to him or not, you know, whether my life revealed that I was Christian. And I don't think that's actually how it works. I think how it works is there's a dad who's sitting in his chair, his family room chair. And we come walking into his house. And he says one of two things. He says, hey, how you been? It was good talking to you yesterday. Thanks for the great work that you did down there on earth. It's so good to have you home. Or he says, sorry, I don't know who you are. I've never seen you before. See, God isn't fooled. We can check the box and go through all the religious sacrifice we want. But did we know God? Did we love God? Our life, our life choices will reveal whether or not we have loved God. And we can't fake it with God. We can beg God to change our heart and we can choose to trust Him and go His way and say, get my heart in line because man, God, I want everything else. I'm going to choose to trust you by stepping in this way and then I'm going to beg you to change my heart. But what I can't do is do things my way and, 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 and say, I'm going to live my life this way, but I'm going to do a little of this and a little of that and hope that that looks Christian enough to God or something. And then at the end, say, okay, well, remember, I casted out demons in your name. I served the poor in your name. I did this in your name. And that's when he says to the goats, depart from me, I never knew you. Or we can live our lives desperately desiring to walk in the path that he has designed for me to know him and say, how did you create me to serve you? You have this great kingdom and you died on the cross so I don't have to worry about my own sin and shame. I want to live my life to the fullest. I want to engage in everything you have for me. What did you design for me, Jesus? I'm going to explore your kingdom and I'm going to know myself enough to know how I can bless those around me and how I can help build your kingdom. And I'm going to go hardcore after it because I know that when I do, I walk with you and I know you. And the day when I step off of this, this earth and I step in to his kingdom, it's going to be like, man, I knew that's what you look like. I knew it. You know, that's funny. Your voice, even though I never heard it like that, it sounds so similar to the way I heard it there, you know, because I was walking with Christ throughout my life. And even though I didn't see him like that, I knew him and he knew me. And it's going to be like you were online dating someone for a long time and you got really, really close with them and then you got to see him and it was like, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, you know? This is the way it should be for us in all of eternity, you know? Where it's like here we only knew through glass dimly, but there we'll see him fully. But we did know him through the glass dimly. We weren't just playing a game and living our life for ourselves. We know that the difference between liking something and truly loving something, most of us know the difference is that when you truly love something, you'll go to the mat for it. You know? You will just go to the mat for it. We were, uh, we were with some friends the, uh, just yesterday at uh, Lake Wall and Paul Pack up in the Poconos. Another pastor in the area um, asked us to go up with him. And so we went up with them, and we had the boys on a tube in the back of the boat. They had us on the boat, and uh, Evan and I were riding on the tube. 
and it was a really rough day, so it was super bouncy, you know? And uh, I remember, like, we were, we were bouncing and bouncing. All of a sudden, that tube just, boom, just flips right up, you know? We're gone. Evan just learned how to swim. I mean, he's in a life vest. He's all, but the, the instant reaction in my soul, you know, I can't breathe. I'm getting slammed around by everything. But I could not think of anything except the fact that somewhere, and I don't know where, my boy's freaking out right now. You know, and he's trying to get some air and I got to get to him as quick as possible and make sure that all those straps held on on his life vest, you know. And so before I could even get my breath or anything, I'm looking everywhere trying to find him and scrambling to get him. Why? Because I love my son and I didn't have to think this is what a dad's supposed to do. You know, it was like I couldn't have thought about anything else if I had tried. And that's the way Paul was for the kingdom of God. That's the way he was in knowing Christ. If there was a way to know Christ today, he was going to find it and he was going to do whatever he could to get there because there was nothing on earth worth knowing more than Christ. There was nothing on earth worth doing more than building the kingdom of God. There's nothing else worth it. And he was consumed with Christ. And it's funny how all the questions we ask about like, hey, am I allowed to do that? Can I eat this? Can I do that? It's like Paul had to look at Church of Corinth being like, what? Like, why do you care about that? There are all the treasures of heaven in store for you. And as a matter of fact, right now, you can have the joy of the Lord and you're worrying about that? Life is bigger and better than that, man. Live it to the fullest. Grab a hold of Christ. Whatsoever you sow, that will you also reap. And Christ has sown righteousness so that we can live in eternity and there's nothing we can do to change that. That's on Him, not on us. But I can certainly change what the investments of this life will be. Whether they will be gone when I'm gone or whether they will last for all of eternity. To win the crown, to gain the jewels that I can lay at the feet of Christ. Man, I'll wait for that. I hope for that day. And together, I hope that we each end together as a community are willing to sell out for Christ, you know? To be about His kingdom. This is what you were created for. God created you for this purpose. He died on the cross so that you can engage Him during this life and invest your life for Him. It is absolutely imperative that you figure out who he's put, what he's put inside of you, who he's made you to be, and sell out for the kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful thing to do. Let's pray.